Yo, welcome to the Beat People Podcast. This is episode 63. We got special guests in the house from ASM. We have uh, Dominic and we have Glenn. How you guys doing? Doing good. Doing great. Good, good. So, Ken? Oh, I'm trying to... I'm trying to mute my stream. <laughs> you get, get caught up. Around here. You're done with the show already? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mute the entire stream. Autopilot. <laughs> all right yeah so yeah I, i've been i've been busy have you all been busy i think you guys have um yeah. what with uh new hydrosynth update dropping today and all so yeah uh sure. it's been a busy busy time for everyone um well maybe not for everyone because i guess a lot of people are in isolation now <laughs> yeah yeah well that's the that's the good thing about us doing the these shows like typically we'll do it on saturday mornings afternoons or whatever now we're kind of doing a couple of them a week. And so hopefully that's kind of helping with some of the, the isolation and boredom. So D still in the place. What's up, D still? Yeah. And uh, so, hey, let's talk about ASM. Um, I mean, like I said before, we kind of like to talk about origin story and ASM kind of came, you know, shot out there with a silver bullet <laughs> it was kind of out of nowhere a lot of people were surprised like what who's asm and whoa what's this synth this incredible synth and who's asm and then look at this synth and who's asm it's kind of like the, the the way things went so uh and i don't mind whichever one well first first i'm getting ahead of myself dom uh introduce yourself and and tell the folks what you do for asm and and what what role you play okay so um, I'm Dominic Owl, product manager of ASM, and um, for the especially for this project for the Hydrosynth, I started like back in 2017 with Chen uh, in Medley, and later Glenn joined us, and and uh, we changed quite a number of things, and then the Hydrosynth came out, and um, nice. I used to work for Focusrite Innovation. Okay. And uh, yeah, later joined Medley, and later we built up this new brand ASM. Nice, nice, cool. And Glenn, how about yourself? Uh, you're, you're no stranger to the show, but how'd you come to uh, join up with ASM? Because you were previously with uh, Arturia. Yeah, um, it's funny. We were actually, uh, you know, looking for other manufacturing partners at Arturia, and uh, and I ended up meeting the president and. Uh, she said, yeah, we're looking at starting a synth division. Do you know anybody who you might recommend to come help us? And and I said, really? Well, talk to me. And so we started talking. We talked over about 10-month period. And, and uh, yeah, everything was great. You know, they're wonderful people. You know, I was, mm -hmm. I was inspired to, to give it a try and see what was up. And I'm super glad I did. It's It's been uh, been wonderful. We are too. We're glad you <laughs> you did too, because I gotta say, I think um um and, and probably the press is, has been telling you this already too, but I think the hydrosynth is one of the most exciting things to come along. And not because, you know, um it's you guys' project and and you know, we're we're kind of close to it, but at the same time, I mean it's just a damn good synth. Um kills so, so many things it can be so much to you and, and especially coming from you know beat makers perspective um where you know there's not always a lot of 
money, a lot of a big budget or something to have a bunch of different synths from a beat maker's perspective. And even with the uh, desktop synth, it's pretty cool to have something that can really almost do anything. And like you're only limited by your imagination and you guys are still putting out updates. So, um, you know, I commend you guys from that. It's a good product, really yeah, good thank product. You. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. So, um, uh, so that was, I guess, the origin story. Then that's kind of how you guys came together. And Glenn, when you all, when you joined the company, uh, uh, how the whole Hydrosynth thing come together? Was it uh, predating you, or was it there? Was it kind of an augmentation of something that existed, or how that whole thing come together? They had started work on it, <clears throat> I think, probably in June or July of 2017. I think that's. Uh, by about August, uh, they were saying, hey, we've got some specs we'd like you to look at. And I'm like, well, no, I can't. I've got a job and I can't do anything right now. So mm -hmm. we finally made the, the deal and I left in December. Then I kind of came on. So they had started down some of the technological paths and had some ideas and stuff um, already laid out. And uh, then there was stuff that I came in and I said, well, let's Let's kind of twist it a little bit and do a little different stuff on it. But, but you know, a lot of it's a, a lot of products in general come out of, you know, what your engineering team can do. And so if the engineers say, hey, I came up with a, a way to do, you know, a subharmonic oscillator that can tune in a fifth or something, you go, oh, that's cool. Yeah, let's do that. So a lot of product design is based on what resources you have. Um, you know, there's times where, yeah, you are developing from the ground up, but a lot of times engineering projects are based on, okay, what resources do we have? What's going on? What can we do? And, you know, it's like Legos. Now we can build up mm -hmm. you know, our Lego roller coaster or whatever. Cool. What What were some of the, the challenges that you guys met when, when kind of developing it, <clears throat> when that phase of things? That way, Donna. <laughs> Dom. <laughs> Dominic's too quiet. I want Dominic to talk. Yeah, Dom, well, what, what, what um, were some of the challenges? Well, the distance is not really a, a problem for us, although the, the time zone is different, but um, we keep communicating very closely. And um, yeah, and Glenn is really good at pushing the team's boundaries. So especially the engineering teams. Well, he pushes boundaries or buttons. Yeah. Whatever. And and so what about with the with the actual like with the actual developing of the synth? Did you kind of meet any were there some things you maybe wanted to do that you couldn't do for whatever limitations or just kind of met some roadblocks with? Uh, well, I think um uh Building the polyphonic aftertouch to our taste to really work musically is, is something which spends quite a lot of time and we have a schedule, we need to release the product and mm -hmm. we need to really test things like in multi-directions with different ways to do it, different technologies and uh, different designs. But uh, we're glad that finally we, we made it. 
Yeah, so so I think that's the polyphonic yeah. aftertouch thing is one of the most challenging things. Glenn. I can see that. I can see it because I, I kind of feel like that is that the reason why there's been uh, no keyboards with it or very few keyboards with it since like 30 years ago. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like there has to be some sort of challenge there, but you guys pulled it off though. Thanks. Yeah, the challenge, you know, anytime you deal with something that's that's mechanical, you know, yeah, you've got electrical aspects, but then you've got mechanical aspects and and that's where it gets difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, you know, keyboard actions are difficult, guitar necks, you know, and, and there's never a right or wrong. You just try to offend the least number of people. You know, <laughs> if you go to a bunch of guitar players and you say, what's the best guitar neck ever? Yeah. Uh, you know, good you're going to have fights between the Strat guys and the Les Paul guys and the Gretsch guys and, yeah, and everybody's gonna say, no, this is the best neck. And you get the yeah. same thing with piano actions and keybed actions. So anytime you've got mechanical uh, thrown in, that's just its own whole can of worms. You'll never yeah. see me do digital drums because that's the biggest mechanical feel nightmare there is. <laughs> when it comes to the prototyping side of things, um, w was that a... Um a pretty big change for you as far as like being able to get turnaround on, on, Hey, I have this idea for something and then getting engineering development done on that and then prototyping it and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, Dom had been at, at uh, Medley for a while. I hadn't been. So I can actually reach here on my desktop. Um, yeah. You know, Hydrosynth started off like this. Wow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> It was driven by Max MSP. Mm -hmm. And uh, so like right when I started, you know, they were talking about, you know, the wave scanning and that kind of stuff that they were thinking about doing. I said, wow, that'd be really great to be able to hear and see what it sounds like. And like, oh, you want to hear it? And so like a couple of days later, you know, FedEx is our best friend. So wow. I get this thing and the Max MSP, and we're like listening to stuff. And this was like, you know, the spec wasn't even done yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and we're able to hear stuff. And that's totally new for me. Because every other company, you go through and you bake the spec. The spec is pretty much done. Yeah. And then engineering starts to build and starts to design from that spec. So a lot of the problems you end up with is by the time you get down to seeing a first working product, you've made so many choices in the design and the UI and everything getting up to that point that you're like, Okay, well, we're, we are where we are. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot a whole big section of stuff I have to do. And now it's going to be, you know, next shift function. Yeah. One, four, three, tax. <laughs> and with this, we were able to try stuff right away. So, so that's kind of cool. So I, from what you just said, it's almost like because of the, the way the timeline was and the way the kind of project line was, you were able to uh, almost make good on certain usability. You know what I mean? You wouldn't have to go back and kind of think of it as an afterthought because you were kind of baking it all in while listening and uh, getting that feedback almost in, in real time, like a hyperspeed, so you could easily go back and change things. Yeah, well, I mean, you could hear the engine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Dominic, Dominic, we didn't have many, we didn't like add a bunch of buttons or anything in any of our hardware, did we? Not really, and I think, uh... Chen is very responsive to what we want to have. So we don't need to wait long and we will have a prototype working and we, ah, 
do you like this feature? Yeah, why not? <laughs> and then we'll add it into the entry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and tell people who, who Chen is, just in case people don't know. Chen, Chen is kind of the the other part of the trio here. Uh, he's the chief engineer for ASM, mm -hmm. the chief guy for it. Yeah, he's the one behind algorithms mainly. Nice. So nice. sometimes he come up with some very interesting ideas. Oh, I have an idea. How about such algorithm? Maybe it will work. Yeah, <laughs> and we will try it and maybe tweak it a little bit and that's good very good <laughs> nice nice yeah math is his hobby just like the rest of us here <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> like i don't know guess with this one pick up the can see how it sounds it's my math <laughs> <laughs> so somebody uh db paul in, in the in the chat uh asked what was the ultimate goal behind designing a hydrocent there. <laughs> <laughs> Completion. <laughs> that what it came out to be. <laughs> um, playability really was one big thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I really wanted this product to be a musical instrument. Um, I think that you get products that have lasting quality that they're their own instrument. So many Moog is has lasting quality. Uh, CS80 has lasting quality. Profit Five. When I think of, there's so many scents that like came and gone and came and gone and came and gone. And, and you know, there's a few people that really, you know, want a FISMO or something, but they came and they died for, you know, specific reasons. Mm -hmm. And to me, I really wanted us to make something that was a real a statement product that, that could last. That makes um, sense. So, so one of the things about the whole development cycle that, that you were talking about, uh, not just, um, uh, prototyping ideas and DSP and that sort of thing. But what about like the physical units? Because the physical units are robust and big, heavy metal. Um, is, is that an issue for you when you're when you're prototyping something and you have to ship it back and forth and that sort of thing? No, nah, not really. I mean, uh, shipping's shipping's easy. Um, and if they're making one unit, it's just as easy for them to make two. Um, so, you know, Dominic's based in Hong Kong, uh, Chin's based in Shanghai, the factory's in Zhuhai, um, I'm in Los Angeles. So we're already kind of spread out. You know, the factory's maybe a two or three hour drive for Dominic, but um, the reality is we're all, all of us are remote. Um, so yeah, we, they build things and ship them out and everybody gets them. I've got some metal and some stuff here that, that they've sent me button samples and stuff. And a lot of it, you know, Dominic knows products. You can look around his studio there. He uh, he knows stuff and he knows quality and uh, he's a really good badger. So he'll uh, he'll get in there and he'll fight. Nope, your quality's not good enough. Nope, quality's not good enough. And so Dominic really kind of keeps a lot of people to task uh, on that stuff. Uh, I know Dom is is a big synth player. I mean, he's got Polly yeah. Pumpkins, which is uh, his band. Um, Dom, can you tell us a little bit about you know your your musical interests are very synth oriented as it is. So yeah. how does that play into your product development and, and uh, you know the tasks that you you handle for ASM? Um. Well, I think the first thing is you need to have the passion into this this thing so this passion need to 
affect the whole team to let them i mean start to know about what they're going to build what is important to be a good product in such field and i think to raise their interest in really building what they're going to do is very important so yeah from from my background i i really I realized that even when I was a kid, I listened to music that I, I liked, but I didn't know what I what particular elements I like. But now I revisit and realize, oh, oh, that's synthesizer. Oh, that's synthesizer. <laughs> so after like um, starting to work for Focus Renovation, I I have contact to more synthesizers and to trade shows, and start to have more knowledge about it, and. Um, yeah, I, I really, I think I ignited also Chen's interest in synthesizer. So I also sold my secondhand synths to him and other oh. <laughs> other guys in Shanghai. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that Chen um, has been has been making more synthesizer-based music lately. And uh, yeah, yeah so, so that's, it's kind of infectious. It's one of those things that like once people kind of start getting into it, there's no turning back. Yeah. <laughs> Chen did this one thing recently, and you could definitely hear. You know, for the people who don't know, Chen, uh, his uh, he's in a, a symphonic black metal band. Um, oh wow! So he's our symphonic black metal programmer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, but, yeah, he did like a whole synth thing. Yeah. You know, they went down on lockdown uh, about a month and a half before we started going on lockdown. Yeah, and so he did a, a synth thing, and me and Dominic were blown away. It was <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> wow. And uh, hold on, I was wondering. Hey, uh, I'm gonna I'll, I'll touch on this real quick, just because we're still getting it. a lot of questions about delivery dates and that sort of thing. Can you guys um, speak a little bit about just uh, you know people trying to get units and dealing with the whole um, COVID nineteen and just all of that? Um, yeah. So me and Dominic don't really track shipments at all uh, we leave that to the sales guy we kind of focus on products so people write hey where's things it's like i don't know talk to a distributor um i do happen to know because i talked to our sales guy today that there's a batch that is sitting in long beach harbor right now on a ship um so they may offload it in the next day or two depending so that's a hot scoop the right there what was that yeah. I said, that's the hot scoop right there. That's the hot scoop right there. So, yeah, there's a batch waiting to get off of a ship in Long Beach Harbor right now here in L.A. Um, supposedly, there's stuff going to Europe as well, but I don't know how many and I don't know where. And I, I really don't track any of that stuff much. Okay. The only thing Dominic and I deal with are, are when there's problems and delays. So, like, early on in production, we had a, a problem with a third party supplier's cable that they made. And so we had to reject this cable because we were just having all kinds of problems. And to change to a different manufacturer on it, it was like a two and a half week or three week turnaround time. Was that, that was early on Dominic. Yeah, yeah. And we changed over this other thing. So it's like all of a sudden there's a three week delay for a flat cable. It's like everything else was done. Everything else was baked. You get a three-week delay. A third party can't ship something. Um, mm. You know there were also quali uh, quantity and quality issues. We were rejecting a lot of metalwork. You know when you start getting your first batches of metalwork from a third party again, 
there's things that we turn back, uh, buttons and stuff that we turn back, stuff that having been at three other companies, I know none of those companies would have rejected about 90% of that stuff. Um, but we did because we didn't want people getting a scratched unit or a unit with a, a weird wave in it or something. So we rejected things and kind of held them to a tighter standard. So that puts more delays in things. Um, mm -hmm. Then COVID-19 hits us as well as... Well, uh, you know, for me, when it comes down to it... Oh, my bad. So my bad, I'm freezing over here a little bit. When it when it comes down to it for me, I'd rather the product be right when it gets to me. Um, then, you know, I think there's too much of a trend nowadays of companies and whether small or big shipping stuff before it's ready. And sure. then you end up being, you know, the guys who paid to beta test, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that sucks. So I can appreciate, even though sometimes that weight is is grueling right when you buy something you're excited about yeah. and you're waiting for it that way it's grueling i'd much rather it be uh ready for prime time when i get it and then still to have updates coming is, is incredible yeah. yeah i mean any any product that has code in it is going to have bugs i don't care what mm -hmm. product it is you're going to have bugs in it but you got to try to minimize that stuff and we had done four or five months of beta testing there's a lot of companies that will do things for three weeks of beta testing before they get the product out and ship it. Um, wow. We actually could have had a working unit at NAM 2018. Um, and we could have shown working units at that point, but we just like put on the brakes. And we're like, no, we're not going to show anything until the product's ready. Um, even when we showed it in September, the product was ready, but our sales and, and network was not put together you can't part of the keeping it secret is you don't go telling all your all these distributors hey we're going to make a product because then it's no longer secret yeah uh, the minute you go hey guys i have a secret then everybody knows about it yeah that's right because <laughs> then it's like hey i would tell you about this new thing but a secret don't tell anybody then that person says hey i can tell you about this new thing but a secret don't tell anybody right <laughs> you still have everybody know it when so, I was at Roland, we actually used that on purpose one time. Just, <laughs> yeah, we were at an AES show and we were showing a disc recorder and and we and we wanted it to leak, but mm -hmm. we didn't want to like leak it. Yeah. So there's a few dealers that we know. And we told them, okay, we're going to show you this, but don't tell anybody. And ten minutes later, we had people that come into the booth going, "Hey, I hear you have this new thing." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I didn't tell you about that. I must have heard you when you said it to me. <laughs> it's classic, classic. Yeah. So D still asks, will ASM ever make a drum machine? Um, I don't want to talk about future products. Mm -hmm. uh, I won't say we won't, but I won't say we will. I can go with that. Yeah. That works. So shut up, D still. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. No, <laughs> no, no it's, that's me saying it. I'm being clear. <laughs> what else, Ken? Oh, Ken I'm, try I'm trying to answer a tech support, support question uh, <laughs> while we're doing this. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, one thing I, I want to say, um, and this is 
kind of a complete side note in derailing things, but um, anytime anybody tells me that they have an issue with an update or anything like that, like the first thing I try to tell people is, hey, make sure you do like a factory reset. Just make sure like nothing has gotten out of whack or anything uh, on, on your unit's end because you'd be surprised like how how easily that can happen. Um, so, you know, that's just, that's totally side note. But I do want to dive into the 1.4 update so we can kind of ugly segue into 1.4 update and and what that brings because if we're not going to talk about anything new or speculative let's talk about what something is real and current and 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 and, you know we happen to have a good scoop here because the update was released today and you guys are on our show today so uh this is a good time to talk about it just as much as any so yeah well what are some of the the new things uh Noise generator has what was it? Three noise types now. It's seven noise types. Yeah, Dominic's not talking. I'll make Dominic talk. Oh, okay. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's yeah. you, Dom. Well, one major update is the phase diff in the mutator in the mutant. Mm-hmm. So the other thing is what Corey just mentioned. We have new noise types. So we have red, blue, violet, and gray noises added. So you can do like um different quality sounds with different openness of noises in your sound design yeah and for face face diff you have a duplicate of the incoming waveform but it is inverted so you can do face shifting to your taste manually or even like modulate this parameter so nice. you can get pulse width modulation from saw wave and to get a like perfect pulse width modulation. This is what Chen said. (laughs) (laughs) So if it's not perfect, you ask Chen. (laughs) That's funny. That's for for Nick Bat because there wasn't enough pulse width mod options. There you go. There you go. That was a special request. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One thing on the phase diff, though, is that on a sawtooth wave, yeah, it turns it into a square and does pulse width mod. But on other waveforms, it can do this like almost chorusy, almost phase shifting kind of thing, but without some of the weirdness of phase shifting and chorus. Um, it, it's hard to describe. It can be really subtle depending on the waveform that's coming into it um, because it is basically taking a sum and difference and then phase shifting them against each other. So on the two extremes, it's canceling it, itself out. Um, so you can do, there's a lot of stuff between the wet dry and the phase amount that putting stuff to those two controls at once gives it all kinds of. Well, I what I found is that you can. The options, but. If you use something like the spectrum waveforms or a waveform where you have basically like a gradual slope, like a, like a, a, a lower octave sine wave, and then you've got higher octave harmonics going on inside of that waveform, you can kind of see the little squiggles of it kind of shifting down and, and moving across it. So it's, it's, you get this really interesting kind of um, effect where you're, you're moving where the harmonics are at in the waveform, which is really fun. And then of course, if you modulate that stuff, you get like chorus effects and all this, this weird um, kind of like acid trippy vibe where everything's kind of wavy, but like, you don't, you don't, you don't know why, <laughs> you know, you're just like, Oh, everything feels a little off kilter, but I can't, I can't quite place my finger on why. Yeah. It adds life. Yeah. 
Well, there's a that, and that's kind of one of the things that I love about the the Hydra synth. You know, you think digital synth, and you know, there's been so much craze around analog for so many years <clears throat> that I think is really dope when um, a product does digital and it's just, hey, I'm digital, but at the same time, it doesn't have to sound stereotypically digital. <laughs> you know what I mean? This does what it does really well, and then you added stuff like you know, drifting and and what is it, warm mode in the last update, um, and all these different things. I saw somebody, uh, the, you know, guys are starting to do uh, preset packs, and there was one guy that did like I guess classic preset packs, and I can't remember his name, but push pull. Is it push pull? And he did all like classic synth presets that were yeah, kinda, you know kind of like Juno stuff and Jupiter stuff, right. and it was hitting the mark. <laughs> it was really yeah. hitting the mark every time. Yeah, I've got a few patches that I've I've done that one of these days I'll finish them and put it out as a bank. Um, mm -hmm. And I was doing like you know Oberheim brass sounds and stuff like that, and and I've got an Oberheim directly above it. And I could sit there and AB it, and I was doing things against my Pro One, which is right above it as well. And and you can do legit analog sounding stuff on it. Um, it's just the minute people start saying, "Oh, virtual analog," you know, people fall asleep. So yeah, you know, I didn't ever want to mention that. Uh, you know, the actual analog is great and it's wonderful. And I've you can't see this side of the room over here, but that's more where my other analog gear is. And, and I love analog gear, but I also love digital gear. And, and and I don't think that there's one or the other, you know, people, oh, analog yeah, gear. Yeah. It's like a chef that only bakes with potatoes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. It's kind of boring after a little while. That's right, right. Well, that was one of the, the first things that I remember um, when I first found out about the thing that you were like, yeah, this is, this is going to change. Um, and can I say one of the early prototype names? No. Is that okay? No. <laughs> well, there you go. It's called no. <laughs> so, so no, like one of the early discussions was you didn't want it to be virtual anything. Like you, you said, right. no, out with anything that, that indicates virtual because it's digital, but it's not virtual so much. And the, so like one of the original names was the Hydro V and you were like, yeah, nothing with the V in it. Like I want it to be unabashedly digital and proud to be what it is. And, right. and I think that was a, that was something that especially at the time, like people were going the complete opposite direction of. So, you know, mm -hmm. that's, it, it showed a lot of foresight and, you know, of course with Dom starting the project earlier on than that, it's like, I think ASM kind of had this this idea like well well in advance of what a lot of the current trend is because now you're starting to see a lot more digital stuff coming back. You're starting to see you know other synthesizers are coming out with digital stuff, and it's like oh okay well I think and and there's more interest too even in classic digital sense. You know what I mean? Like the, well yeah, but the thing like the thing that gets me about it is UI because like there was a there's a lot of really cool old digital synths. Yeah, but they all have like horrible UI. Word. You know, sure. yeah. One of the few great ones is right here, right there. You know, the Waldorf microwave and had a great UI on it, um, but it was like an analog mm -hmm. UI. Mm -hmm. So, but things like below it, like I got a TX7 down there, um, and there's another one from another company that uh, I hate the UI on the thing. Um, there's one that 
that's almost designed analog style. But mm -hmm. and you look at it and go, oh, this thing would be so much fun to use. And then they buried everything in menus. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay, well, that's no fun to use anymore. If you're gonna do menus, then do menus in a good way. Yeah, to so make it intuitive. Menus, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's the other thing too that I think is is really cool about the Hydra. One of the first things I noticed is that like it's powerful and it's deep, but it's intuitive. Like, and I mean, I don't know, maybe somebody out there would argue that, but I know when I sat in front of it and the way the buttons are laid out for the architecture of the thing, if you want the oscillator one, two or three, or you want, you know, whatever you might want. And then it's, it's laid out in a way that's the signal flow. The buttons are there, there's a signal flow and that kind of helps, um, you know, with understanding what exactly you're doing without, it's literally a layout. It's almost like having a cheat sheet on the panel. <laughs> you know, and then when you touch it, it there it all of a sudden has eight knobs, uh, <laughs> up to eight knobs or or so more sometimes. So I think that was a, a pretty good UI design, and I've heard people say that a lot before too. Um, I wanted to get to this one question: Is it says, "Hey, do they take questions? Do the guys have plans for substantial updates like the last two? Not sure what else they could add." Not, um, not that we want you to get into what the updates might be, but I guess what's your philosophy along the lines of updates and and uh, that sort of thing? Uh, philosophy of updates. Do we? Uh, <laughs> my, my philosophy on updates is that you do updates that don't hinder the product. Um, at some point in time, you have to say, okay, we've packed enough features in here. We're done. We're done with adding features. Um, you know, I don't, every time I see Dave Smith, I don't go, Dave, how come you haven't updated my Profit 5? That's right. <laughs> and there's no better Profit 5 could definitely have that would make it interesting. Or, you know, I see Tom Oberheim, where's my expander update? It's like, mm -hmm. no, there's times where it's like, no, it's baked, it's done. And if there's limitations, okay, well, I deal with those. And sometimes that works better. So updates can hurt a product. Mm -hmm. And one that you can't see that's behind me, that they kept updating it to the point of hurting the product. Mm -hmm. So will we add, yeah, there's definitely stuff that we wanna add and and we'll probably see something, you know, in the not too distant future that's probably gonna be pretty significant. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, at some point in time, yeah, we'll definitely say, okay, it's baked. This is the product that it is. Oh, well, we got something here that you could take out of it. You may as well take that third oscillator out because <laughs> Richard says it didn't even need the third oscillator. <laughs> but no, I, I get what he's saying because I remember, Glenn, when when you first showed me, uh, even before there was there was hardware for it, you were showing me some of the the stuff, of, uh, letting me hear some of the stuff. And then I remember we got so far into what the synth was doing, and he was like, that's just the first oscillator. <laughs> and I was like, oh, get the hell out of here. And then you went to the second oscillator and we went a long time through all of this stuff. And I was like, my mind was blown like, wow, get out of here. And you're like, and there's a third, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I definitely see what he's saying because it, it gets deep with just the first couple of oscillators. And, and But you know, you can make things as, as simplistic or as complex as you want them to be, but it still kind of remains intuitive. It's funny because that third oscillator was originally a sub oscillator. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
no, like that's not what a sub oscillator is. I was like, that's a full oscillator. What are you doing calling it sub? Yeah, I had a I had a talk with Daniel Fisher from Sweetwater, and he was doing sounds and stuff for us, and 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 he talked to me for about two hours one day. He's like, dude, you can't call that thing. It's it's not a sub oscillator. It's a real oscillator. Yep. It's, there's nothing sub about it. It's not just a sine wave an octave down or something. And so you know, Daniel talked me into calling it oscillator three and. And uh, yeah, so Daniel gets that credit. <laughs> so um, Dom, yeah, what it, what about the hydrosynth is something that um, really kind of gets you excited? Because I noticed that in a lot of your music, you've been using it a lot, and you've got a lot of cool synths too. I mean, you've got Roland System One Hundred behind you. I mean, you've got some really cool synths back there. Uh, what's what are some of the things about it that you find in, in your music that? makes you say, oh, I'm, I'm going to use this. It's not just, it's not just my day job. It's, it's what I'm going to be using. Um, well, for the hydrosynth, actually, how it is designed is like what we want to have. That's our dream synth. So definitely, even before the product came out, we have ideas how to use it and how it can help in my production and in, in my performance. And so, yeah, so I... Well, to me, I have a lot of di uh, different synthesizers, but um, each of them has their own personalities. Even, even they have similar sound nature, but the UI is different. And and sometimes you need to have some limitations to get creative. So I tend to like move around sometimes on this and on that. And and on hydrosynth, the one thing I like the most is the musicality. So the polyphonic aftertouch, yeah, it's always the go-to in my studio. <laughs> and uh, the ribbon is fun to like film oh, videos and oh, That's what right. what it's doing up there? Oh, so what's that? <laughs> yes. Well, the ribbon—that's a fun choice, though. Like, so I mean, I feel like it's the new classic for for one. I mean, obviously, the sound is the sound, right? We can gush about that. But I think some of the things that really make it stand out, it's like the polyphonic aftertouch and the ribbon in a modern synthesizer. It's kind of unheard of, really. Um, mm. You just don't see that much, and especially not in an affordable place. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what was kind of no. the, the, the thought process that went into that? Was it just kind of like, hey, I want this, put it. <laughs> I think uh, Glenn started these ideas and uh, we at that point we didn't know how how it will really be implemented there or how it would work I mean say for the ribbon we, we have no idea how many octaves we can do oh we have four octaves keypad why not make it four octaves ribbon and we try to test okay uh, is the structure okay with it? And and yeah, it turned out that it, it worked. Okay. And uh, obviously, the ribbon has um, influence from CS80 and uh, polyphonic aftertouch as well. I personally have a CS50. Mm -hmm. And actually, that aftertouch is pretty nice, although it's monophonic. But there's a springy feel to it. And it's it's much better than the modern ones. So uh, if I remember correctly, it uses uh, optic. So it, it, there's a gate there to open. You can actually like use it without much pressure. Mm -hmm. But uh, the yeah, again, the aftertouch nowadays, many of the monophonic ones, they're like just on off switch. So yeah. 
yeah, yeah a totally different story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have a, another question here. Uh, are you thinking of adding a step sequencer or even better, um, was there a choice to put a sequencer in it and, and or not? Did that come up during the point of uh, developing? Um, yeah, I mean, we throw out all kinds of ideas. You know, ideas are pretty easy to come by and, and cheap. And we had to kind of think about with everything, it's how do you access it? How do you use it? How's it going to be used in the end? Um, and does it make sense? And how does it make sense? So, yeah, there's things that we can do. There's things that we are planning on doing. Um, but as far as, you know, do you do a sequencer arpeggiator? A lot of times it's a toss up about which way you go. And it has to do with UI and functionality of the product. I think if it had splits and layers and the ability to do um, you know, multiple voices, then I'd definitely aim towards a sequencer and not the arpeggiator so much. Um, but because it's uh, got a single voice across the range of the instrument, uh, an arpeggiator can be a lot more useful, I think, than a sequencer. You're probably going to be sequencing with something else. So, you know, why not use your DAW or a MPC or something that's going to be a better sequencer? I can't hear. Uh, Corey, I went, Corey, Corey went silent. Corey went muted. silent. There we go. I saw you saying something. I was like, let me not step on his toes. But then you didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Jen. I, I was just kind of uh, talking about the ARP. And really, I just kind of said how much I like to use it because I like ARPs on everything. So anytime I get anything, if, if, if somebody gave me a mandolin that didn't have an ARP, I'm going to be like, this ain't no damn instrument. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's one of the things that um, that I've noticed because uh, really most of the team has been available and accessible online for people to kind of talk to um, through Facebook forums and maybe to the point where, you know, you guys, you know, could be using, you know, you could be getting hit with an onslaught of repeat questions and that sort of thing. But is there anything that kind of comes up time and time again that you're like, well... Yeah, I like uh, maybe maybe I should have done this differently, or do you feel like most of the feedback is pretty good? Like, what what's the vibe that that you're getting from it? Glenn especially has had a lot of experience with this stuff, but Dom, um, you know, this is this is something newer for you as far as like being the face of of a new product like that. Yeah, totally. So even like our debut at. At the Nopcon, I was amazed how how people reacted to like playing the 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 product, the hydrosynth. I'm I'm just amazed. <laughs> <laughs> so that so that that firsthand feedback is probably invaluable, right? Because I mean, yeah. you guys haven't said that the this was at least kind of started in development in 2017 and coming through those years of development and finally getting in front of people and yeah. seeing that feed, getting that feedback directly. I mean, that's pretty pure at that point. You know what I mean? There's always going to be some level of, you know, people are excited to to get their hands on something that's not out there yet. But at the mm -hmm. same time, you can tell when it's good feedback. I mean, whether they say something or not, because um, people are not shy. 
Right. Totally. Yeah. So I could, I could imagine getting that firsthand feedback is pretty good. Yeah, oh, man. You, guys, you guys got a great compliment like here. Active. I like being active in the forums and stuff, you know, and I try to when I can. Uh, there's times where I just have to shut it off and go to work and just kind of ignore them for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that, like, I don't go on Gear Sluts anymore. I don't go on some of the other sites anymore. Just, I don't have time to, to bounce from one to the other. You know, we're trying to build a brand, so we've got this product, but now then we've got the next few things that we're going to be doing over the next four years that we're already starting to lay out the groundwork for. So, uh, you know, Dominic and I just don't have a whole lot of time to do that, but the community is growing and the community is really good. Um, the, the ASM, if you're not part of the ASM Facebook, uh, the ASM Hydrocent Facebook group that Ken started, it's a great one. Uh, people are really good on it. There's nobody that really acts up. It's not really a, you know, there's nobody that needs a uh, discipline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't had to boot anybody yet, which is no, and, and, surprising. And, and there's <laughs> going to be every product. You can find problems with every product. There's not a piece of gear in my office here that I can't. Well, oh, they should have done this. So they should have done mm-hmm. that. And I'll look at things that I've done. And oh yeah, I should have done that. Oh, I wish I would have done this. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw one of your modifications that you made just the other day. Oh yeah, to your yeah, little was- keyboard. Yeah, I'll own this one. Um, so MPK25, we, I don't know why, I don't even remember the story about why we went to a micro or mini USB on it. I don't remember the story on it, but it was one of those things that I was like, yeah, okay, that'd be cool. It's small and it will fit, you know, in your backpack or whatever. And that thing drives me freaking crazy. <laughs> Mine micro, broke. So the mini micros they break all the time, and they're hard. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, uh, I, I hacked mine. I don't know if I can see it there. I still <laughs> have mine, so I, I may have to do that same yeah. hack because because the same port broke on mine. So now I'm like, man, I might yeah, have to do that. Broke. My old, my, mine either works, and I can use either type. But uh, oh, nice! Yeah, I hacked that. I'm in the the process of hacking another. Uh, product that I, I did that we As, I, you know, you know yeah, what's I an engineer to tell me no we should do the micro one because it locks and you know, <laughs> well if you think it's it's good I don't have anything with micro so I did it and I kicked myself all the time I should have you know it, it, Glenn it must have really been bothering you for you to be as busy as you are and look over at that thing and be like I gotta have the regular USB raining a lot here so Oh, there you go. Yeah, but I still have one. <laughs> okay, what gear needs modifying? What needs? There you go. Uh, let's see. Hold on. Somebody was saying. It. Oh, about the group. Here's a, the thing about the group. Um, I like that there's a lot of contributors in the group. Like, not just sure. say cool things or say things that they found, but like there's guys in there that are developing. Like one guy developed a. a, a uh, editor for Max that, that works in Ableton. Yeah, and and uh, there's another one that he's developing a a separate uh, editor, and you know they already kind of have things laid out, and it's kind of cool that that kind of contribution and that sort of uh, collaborative sort of environment 
existed. Then they'll throw those out there and be like, hey, I got this and I've done this. And what do you guys think? And I mean, it's, they're putting a lot of work into those things. And, and it's yeah. only going to make the uh, the hydrosynth more usable. And, and there's going to be those things, are the I guess the user case, the use case is going to be there for, for everything that those guys are throwing out there. And not only that, but the presets that guys are doing. It's a really good uh, uh, group just in general. Yeah, the Sun God Raw preset bank that uh, that uh, Roger did for us was amazing. Uh, he was just an end user, um, you know, in Norway, I believe, and he did 128 patches and sent them to us. He's like, "Hey, I'm going to release these. You know, if you guys want to release them, you can." <laughs> and so we went over the things, and the sounds were really good. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was like, this is awesome, you know. And they're some of the sounds are some of my favorite sounds on here now. Uh, yeah, and nobody's trying to gouge for the presets that they do either. It's like no, they're no. reasonably priced and they're really good, good presets. It's pretty good. Yeah, somebody just did another bank of 32 for 10 bucks or something. It's like 30 cents a preset. That's great. Yeah. Uh, great deal. You all ever think about uh, some sort of ecosystem where, you know, these things are maybe hosted on the ESM, on the ASM site as like your own kind of Apple Store version of apps, but presets for your sense and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> you should do know. that because because dom said so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the one thing you know there's a lot of back-end stuff like that that we'd like to be able to do mm -hmm. um, but there's only a few of us so we're kind of overwhelmed with uh, the tasks that we already have at hand and yeah uh, so you know we're just trying to build new products and add updates to existing ones and try to keep things uh, moving and, and creative, you know, and as the brand grows then we'll have more uh, availability and people to be able to do stuff like that. But, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to the web updates and all that stuff, that's me and Don and, and uh, you know, so as well or as poorly as they get done, that's, you know, us having to do it. <laughs> <laughs> So somebody's asking here too. Um, that I think they want you, you guys to get your uh, screen printing skill set up too, along with the web development skill set, because they want more Hydrosynth T-shirts in the future, <laughs> uh, blue, pink, red, etc. Like a, a one for each type of color and noise, uh, noise colored noise. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, yeah. Yeah, we actually have T-shirts. We just don't have a. Again, we don't have a mechanism to sh to sell them and ship them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that would be like our sales guy would have to like individually pack them and ship. We just we don't have the throughput to do that right now. Right. So right. eventually, yeah, we'll we'll start building up swag and that kind of stuff, and we'll probably have a web store at some point in time. But but kind of product product and the brand are the focus right now, and and some marketing becomes kind of the ugly stepchild that, that we kind of ignore. <laughs> well, you know what? The, I think, too, that's probably <clears throat> at this stage. What's cool is that you got such a cool, such a, a good community. Um, yeah. there's, there's like a good word of mouth and there's a lot of stuff like this being sold for the, the scent and that's being put out there for the scent that's kind of maybe helping along the way with that stuff. Because I can imagine there's, there's a million things for you guys to do with being a new brand and um, you know, getting everything standing up and to kind of keep ahead of things so that you, you know, it's not just one hit and there's a, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, 
good product after good product. So that's a lot of work that goes into that. Yeah. How many artists have done like their first album is great. And then the next album really isn't. Yeah. Why we got to talk about Bobby Brown like this? (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. And it's the same sort of thing. (laughs) Same sort of thing. No, exactly. Yeah. You got to follow it up. You got to follow it up with other products and, and to build a brand, you know, there's gotta be more than, you're not always going to have a hit product. Mm-hmm. You have to have solid products. They have to be good. I guess and, that's I guess that's where building a team where you've got you know pretty much the whole team is are are also end users and you've got you know a guy with a lot of experience and you there and you've got Dom who's clearly passionate about it. Um, so you guys not being a, a group that wants to do the whole teaser thing and and talk about the future. Um, does that help you kind of focus more as well? Um, yeah, you know, anytime that you can reduce the noise is good. Well, I bring it up because I know that you, you places that you've been before are kind of known for talking about things well in advance. So it's yeah, a big shift. And some of them have learned their lesson. Um, <laughs> you know, because when, when you go from product idea to product prototype uh, to product shipping, um, a lot of times it feels like when you get product prototype, you're like, 90% of this thing's done. We're, we're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And the reality, and I've told Dom and, and Shen this, and I said, no, it's that last 10% is actually the 90%. And that's the part where everybody falls in their face. That's where, oh, we've got a working prototype. Now we're going to show this thing. Or we don't even have a working prototype and we're going to show it. And then all of a sudden you get manufacturing problems or you get you know, there was one product that we did uh, at a couple of companies ago um, that had an Apple interconnect in it. So it had to use an Apple chip and it failed Apple's MFI program. Oh, so no. we've already shown this thing to dealers and distributors. They're like, here it is. It works. It's great. Well, Apple is like, mm, yeah, no. Um, so we had to redesign the thing from the ground up to have it pass Apple certification. So there's things like that that come up that you're just like, wait, what? We followed all your specs. Oh, yeah, but we changed the specs. Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> too, too bad. Yeah. So, I mean, it's that last 10% is the 90%. So I'd rather just, like, not even say anything until the 99.9% is done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you kind of go, okay, now we can show it off. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help the customer. Um you know, you can sit there and, and leak. Oh, look, you know, look, we made a keyboard. But, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what? You know, oh, in 10 days, we're going to tell you about a new product. Yeah. Why don't you just tell me now? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, you, right. Do you guys not know what that product is in 10 days? Or are you going to come up with the idea in 10 days? That's right. Is it, the problem is there's only one of them, and it's a half of one. And we're trying to get the other half in five days so that yeah. we can show you in 10 days. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like the teaser thing. I'd, I'd rather yeah. just show a done product. Well, here, here's a, a good question that comes up a lot is what was the decision factor in going with 49 key when at least 61 key or more is better all around? Says SS88. Says SS88. There's a few factors. I mean, the original design started off as a 37. 
So we grew it to a 49. Um, in the controller and keyboard market, the 49 note keyboards, and I've built a lot of controllers and sold a lot of controllers. So I know what the sales volumes are for a couple of different companies, at least. The 49 note sales volumes are this, the 61s are here, the 76s and 88s are down here. So your new brand, you're starting off, you've got two years of engineering where you're not making any money, you're just spending money for two years. And you mm -hmm. got to say, roll the dice and go, okay, well, which is going to be the most popular? Um, and the most expensive thing that you deal with in any product is the chassis. Mm -hmm. So when you go from a chassis to this big, to this big, to this big, to this big, yeah, you've added, you know, maybe 12 plastic keys that don't cost a lot, but you've added 60 bucks in mechanicals mm -hmm. and $60 your cost by the time you get with markups through distributors and dealers and shipping and paying for marketing that ends up being $250 to the end user. So, you know, to hit a price point and stuff, you have to make decisions. And, and 49 is good enough to be able to do a lot with. Dave Smith's done a lot of 49s, done them well. Um, so, yeah, we made a choice. Mm -hmm. And then there's always controllers too, right? So, yeah. but then the, the poly after touch, but I definitely get the, the philosophy and the, the, I think you can't, even say it any better when you think about that the 49 keys sell the most and then it drops significantly the bigger the thing gets because you know it is kind of cool when we hear about it of from especially from us like covering products we hear about something that comes out with a, ooh, a new 88 key but are any of us going to buy it we're not buying an 88 key anything <laughs> you know what i mean there's going to be some players that are going to buy the 88 key thing but um then you also have people out there that have their favorite controller that feels exactly like they want it to feel, has the keys that they had going on it, and they just assume buy the desktop <laughs> because they have the key bet that they want. And when you get into the, again, you get into the real players, mm -hmm. the guys playing the 88 notes and, and stuff, those guys are way more picky about the feel. Mm -hmm. And that's really where feel, you know, now you're talking about a guy who grew up on a piano or grew up on a Rhodes or grew up on something else. And, so feel becomes even a bigger factor. Mm -hmm. And so you do the wrong 88 for that guy and you just cut out a bunch of the market. Mm -hmm. When we did an 88 controller for one other company, I brought in a bunch of piano players like legit studio guys and home guys and piano teachers. I brought a bunch of people and I had five key beds from different companies. I had like the most expensive key bed. I had the least expensive and everything in between. Mm -hmm. And we just put up a chalkboard and I had guys come in over the course of a few days and just hit each one of the key beds and see which one they rated. And it was so funny because the cheapest, nastiest keyboard either was loved or hated. So <laughs> guys either said, no, this is the best one or mm -hmm. guys said, it's the worst one. And mm -hmm. there was nothing in between. The yeah. most expensive keyboard bed was the same exact thing. Guys were either, no, this is the worst one no, this is the best one and nothing in between. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. everything else was like kind of, you know, in between. If it was one out of five, you know, this one was a three. Yeah, yeah. And these were either one or five. <laughs> and it was like, like people were going to start fights about which one was best. Or <laughs> totally <one>. insulted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, again, you have to kind of, you have to sell products at the end of the day. So you have to go, okay, well, which is going to be the least offensive? <laughs> 
So what was the decision then there to, to go with a desktop unit along with the 49 key one and, and with the pads and everything? Uh, I can remember when I first saw it, I was like, whoa, that's going to, in my mind, the first thing I thought was that's going to be popular because I'm obviously thinking from the beat maker's perspective and, you know, you know, pad layout and that sort of thing. What was the, the thought behind going the desktop and adding pads to it? Um, well, again, uh, you sell to different markets and synth sell to really three distinct markets. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of guys that look at a 49 and go, oh, that thing's too big. Mm -hmm. And so you get the guys who are not, I won't say they're not, they're not keyboard players. You know, they're musicians. They may maybe they come more out of a DJ background or something. Um, and there's guys that play modular, so they're you know, or they do come out of a, a DJ, you know, beat kind of background. Mm -hmm. They're not looking to play Chopin, right? You know, they're not looking to you know redo Isotomito's you know Snowflakes or Dancing album. And so that market you don't need the keys and you need something that's portable and you need something smaller and that market wants that. Um, and you see a lot of other companies do it. I, I wanted to, I was pretty adamant that we wanted to release them both at the same time. Um, you see a lot of companies that will do one or the other, mm -hmm. wait a year and then release the other one. Um, and I never, I don't think that's ever a good strategy, but so yeah, we're lucky to be able to do them both. And I'm glad you did. I'm really glad you did. I mean, um, I see a lot of people that just like the people that I thought would love the desktop. Those are the people that <laughs> love the desktop. That sort of yep. subset that you were just talking about. Um, and and I think, I that is right into, you know, so yeah. I, I even use it where I, I approach it differently. Yeah, Dom, mm -hmm. Dominic did a bunch of like, he did the pad layouts and stuff. And there's different ones that like he came up with the fretboard mode, which yeah. I love that. And yeah. because again, you reach for things differently. Mm -hmm. um, it's like guys that, you know, are playing push or something or, or guys that play NPC and they've taken these things and they've turned it into their own instrument. And I, I like that you approach it differently with the pads versus the keyboard with a the keyboard. There's certain chords and scales that I'm, comfortable in, and I go to that and mm -hmm. my stuff tends to all sound the same. So it's nice to get off of that and approach something from a different thing and, and try it. You come up with different ideas. Totally makes sense. So I, I got a question from a friend of mine, um, Chris Sate Albion, who, who just released a synth called uh, simple for uh, Hallian. So um, he wanted to ask about um, with the Matrix Brute and Hydrosynth, uh, he says they departed so much away from conventional synths at the time. I'd like to know if breaking away from conventional synths is intentional or a happy accident. And if it's intentional, what is it about conventional synthesis that you feel is yet to be where it needs to be? Well, that's deep. <laughs> um, <laughs> I personally don't try to like break away from and do something unconventional. Uh, I think that if you try to do something unconventional, you can just end up with something weird. Um, I think that what you try to do is you try to find weaknesses or you try to find uh, an advantage somewhere else or, or find something that you can do better than somebody else. You know, the matrix brute thing ended up 
that was not the original like idea behind it. The original idea was uh, MS-20 style patch panel, but where you could have digital memories because one of the biggest complaints on a mini brute and stuff was, well, we're not seeing a lot of guys playing them on stage because you got to remember how to set the patches. You know, there's no programmable memory. So we wanted to do something that would keep modular flexibility, but programmability in that. And so we came up with some weird ideas about, you know, memorize, writing a digital signal in the background using TRS jacks or something. And one of the engineers came up with using a video matrix or he came, he saw a video matrix and he came up with that idea. Um, and so we are like, oh yeah, that would work great. Um, and so that's how it ended up like that. Now it grew to be the size that it had to just because it physically had to fit the, the space of that. Yeah, I think that if you're just trying to do something that's already been done, well, what's the point? I mean, you got to do something that's, there's got to be a reason. There's no reason to redo a Prophet 5. It's a great instrument. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, every time I hear somebody like try to sing a Frank Sinatra song, I go, why are you doing this? <laughs> it's already perfect. Yeah, right. he nailed it. It's done. That's right. Baked. We move on. Let's go do something different now. Right, right. Classic. Um, what? So, what's this? Somebody saying, can you use a external keyboard and then use the pads to activate the poly after touch functions? I'm not sure I understand that. I mean. You could play poly after touch on the pads, but you know if your keyboard your keyboard doesn't have uh, poly after touch, it's not going to do that. You, you could play them both at the same time, like you could be yeah. playing your keyboard and your pads at the same time. Um, but I, I'll leave it up to Dom more to answer that because Dom's a better player than me by far. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, if uh, the external keyboard is a sound module or synthesizer. Then you can use the polyphonic aftertouch and map the mono monophonic aftertouch or polyphonic aftertouch data into that module. So it depends on that module if it can accept polyphonic or not. I mean, yeah, polyphonic my, my, aftertouch. So one thing I was thinking is a possibility. I don't know if this would work or not. Is that you could be, if you're skilled enough, you could be playing with one hand on your MIDI keyboard monophonic you know, after touch controller and play the same notes on the pads and then express them polyphonically like that. You could do that. Um, but, um, but then you'd be doubling notes and it, yeah, it, it would get weird. That's a, that's a wild way to go. Uh, but you could. <laughs> uh, I see in the comments, uh, DB was saying, so it's not possible to assign the pads just as a modulation function. No, it isn't. They're always, attached to sending note data as well. Yeah, they're they're will, just like keys. Yeah. yeah, I will say that um, who was it? Upright was just using his, uh, one of the senses that he has, I can't remember which one it is, but it has poly aftertouch. He was using the Ultranova. Yeah, and he was using the poly aftertouch on the Ultranova to No, no, play that's, mono, that's, that's mono aftertouch. But it's mono this, aftertouch, that's, yeah. That's where me and him were, I was yelling at him about. I was trying to explain it to That's him. right, that's the distinction of whether or not it was mono or, or poly. But at any rate, he was able to use the aftertouch. So if you had a poly aftertouch MIDI keyboard of some sort, you could, you know, play it. I got something that you could use. You could use this. Yeah, that's poly aftertouch. Yep. Or, yeah. The expressive E, is that the name of the thing? What's the name of that keyboard? That's the thing you got rid of, you bought on Friday and took back on Monday. 
Yeah, the touche. Yeah, that technology in a keyboard form, which the Osmo or well something. It's called Osmo or something. Yeah, yeah, that joint. Yeah, that's cool. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah, I got to play it last year about this time. Yeah, Osmos is cool. I really want to try that because I did. I did really like the touche. Like I thought that was cool. Um, about that, about that kind of stuff. Um, so. What sorts of things interest uh, the two of you as far as, like, things that you haven't tried before? Like, are there possibly other expression techniques that interest you, other types of synthesis that interest you, that sort of thing? Dominic? Mm. Yeah, throughout the development process, we actually try to come up with some really weird sensing (laughs) mechanisms. So it's like... Nothing you've seen before, <laughs> but uh, but Chen is always really quick in building those odd stuff, and he he would give me back a video of him doing like, see it works, <laughs> 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 but, but, but uh, we also need to think in the aspect of the players and musicians if if it can stand in all kinds of environments. I mean, this. This product can be used live or in studios. And there are different situations. Maybe there are vibrations and all sorts of possibilities. So we don't want to have the product built, but used in certain environments that it is not usable. But uh, yeah, we are aware of different kinds of expressive things. So we, we will not rule that out for our future products, I think. I'm a big Star Trek fan, and there's a um, there's a, a scene where they're using these controllers, and it's just like a gel that you sink your hands into. <laughs> wow! Mm. I'm just saying, just think about it. You know, I thought you were like with triple controllers, <laughs> but that's old school Star Trek. So. It's a slippery slope towards other technologies that I'm not even going to mention. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> You can get expressive things that, you know, that you're always riding that line of, is it cool or is it just weird? Mm-hmm. And it can be a gamble and you can spend a lot of time developing or going down a development path and spend a lot of money and time. And it could just end up being weird at the end of it. Um, so I think that- that's an interesting point, Glenn. I mean, for both of you guys, do you all ever kind of worry about that? Like this thing we're going to try. <laughs> Is it just going to be like the three of us that like it, or is it going to be like something that's going to be useful for folks? Always. <laughs> yeah. How do, you, how do you get past that kind of thing, though? Do you just have to you test it enough or let enough people in that you get some feedback, or you just kind of trust your gut? Uh, I think that we test a lot. You know, we've got uh, I've got a small group of people who I know and I know well and I know what their bent is and I know what their biases are. And so there's a, a few people that that kind of get to see all my product ideas early and I get feedback from them and I kind of can rule things out pretty quickly or see maybe this is a good path to go down. Um, and then I'm kind of a synth history geek. I've, you know, I've been doing them since about 1980 mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, I've got big stacks of like old brochures and stuff. I've even got like brochures for things like a Buchla 400 and weird stuff that they go back. So, I mean, 
I look back at a lot of that kind of stuff and go, well, what did people do before? What's been tried and failed? Why did it fail? Um, what are the reasons behind it? I was just watching a thing with the interview with the band Heaven 17. And uh, Martin Ware was one of our uh, endorsees at, at Arturia and, and uh, he's a real talented guy, but he was talking about using the V-Synth live mm-hmm. and he was using the D-Beam. And <laughs> he was talking this on YouTube and he was talking about, you know, being there and like doing the D-Beam thing, doing this and had like a whole audience of people doing this. <laughs> no, no, no. This is, Everybody's uh, like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that gets that's that gets into some really sketchy like, territory. It's a, it's, a, it's a great. You know, it, I forget who did it. It might have been Matt talking to him live. But. That's that's funny. That's funny. But yeah, I mean, you don't want it to be something weird. Yeah, uh, especially alternate controllers. They can just be. They can be crazy. I tell you, I found out that. Um, like, I get really inquisitive about other things like that. So, like, I'll invest in and buy different things. There was a um, a little device that's, like, this big, and it's, like, an infrared camera that's super accurate or something. I forget the name of it. Um, but essentially, you can use it as a MIDI controller with your hands to control all of this stuff. And I had it for, like, a you know... A, a few weeks in the studio and you know, I'm a big comic book nerd. So I'm thinking, Oh, I'm going to be like Iron Man and I'm doing this and that. (laughs) And, uh, I was like, I realized a few things. One, I, my hands are busy. Like, what am I thinking? Like my hands are busy (laughs) when I'm in the studio. I don't need to be doing, waving them around or anything. And two, I like tactile response. Like I want to physically feel that I'm creating change, Mm -hmm. you know, sound is already, you know, ethereal enough as it is. And then it's like, if you take away the physical contact of that, that's just no. Yeah. That's the hard thing. I mean, I've seen like all kinds of, you know, going way back, there were like drumsticks that you could like play drum kits and it basically kind of sent the air and stuff. And like, yeah, air drums or something. And then there was a guy at, at the NAMM show in the 80s, and he wore like this, this like black jumpsuit and, and had like a, a pair of, uh, of of chucks on that had like a jack in the heel and he'd place sensors all over and he was showing like his new drum suit. And so he could like tap his feet and he'd be like hitting a... <laughs> Come on, really? And this guy was sure he had a million dollar idea. <laughs> you you want to do this? Hear that? <laughs> Bono. Digital ham bone. Ham bone thing. That's that's funny. So yeah, I mean, a controller can go from a good idea to something weird, but it's the tactile thing. That's the big one. There's so many like things that you can do in space with your hands, but you can't control it. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to try to control pitch. How many great theremin players are there? You know? Really? You can count them on, on one, one finger with, with, with some damage to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was one girl that used to play, uh, used to do things for Moog. This was probably 15 years ago, and she was amazing on the theremin. You know, she was like playing jazz standards and stuff on it and but i haven't seen a whole lot of other people that like were amazing musicians on it because it's so difficult Um, so that's the other thing it's like 
is somebody going to have to learn a whole new technique to play your instrument? Right, right. Valid. You know, how valid. many people are ready to invest in that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, I'm ready to spend five years to become a master at this. At this thing that may go out of production and I'll be no, the one, one only live-in virtual soul <laughs> of this thing that I have to now keep running to. Yeah. <laughs> right, there's that kind of thing. Well, cool. I think we've gone. It's a little bit over an hour now, uh, so we'll, we'll we'll wrap here shortly. But what else about the uh, ASM and the Hydra would you guys like people to know? I mean, is, what kind of plans do you have for the future without going too deep into you know any products? Obviously, <clears throat> what's your hopes for ASM? I guess I should say. Um. To build a solid brand, you know, we want to build good products. We want to build products that make sense. We want to do things either differently or better. Um, always, every time you come up with a product, you have the the opportunity to look at what everybody else has done and see if they've done it right or if they've done it wrong or if they've missed an opportunity somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so, there may be even some crowded markets that we might look at in the future that. I personally love crowded markets because that's an opportunity, I think, to find something that is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, Don I, just wants to make uh, accordions. So. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I think accordions with uh, sequencers. Yeah. Yeah, I think Chen <laughs> would be excited to hear this. <laughs> yeah. Chen, besides being the symphonic black metal, programmer plays accordion too <laughs> yeah chin is probably the best musician out of any of us he's he's a really good he's accordion player, that's incredible. Good guitar player but then the accordion like takes that factor out so <laughs> yeah, he, was, he was posting up stuff about that and i was just like yeah like okay <laughs> you know I, I saw i'm like i'm, I'm willing to check it out <laughs> I saw a guy playing an accordion at the Target parking lot last time I was outside before we all got, you know, put on house arrest. Um, and I was like, oh, well, you don't see that every day. <laughs> guy in the Target parking lot playing the accordion. So okay. well, living in Delaware, um, <laughs> there's there's a local accordion player that uh, named Weird Al Yankovic. And that guy, he's about the only accordion player that I've ever watched. And I was like, OK, that's pretty awesome. But and, and Weird Al's great. So, yeah, yeah, Weird, yeah, Weird Al's awesome. <laughs> like he's legit awesome. But uh, yeah, this has been a good talk. Um, hey Dom, everybody healthy out there? Oh yeah, because I've been get, I get a ton of questions about COVID nineteen and the team out there. So I just want to make sure everybody's healthy uh, at ASM and everything's okay. Yeah, everybody's doing good. And uh, Chen is extra healthy, he seems. He's extra healthy. <laughs> Super Chen. In a, in a previous meeting, he's not coughing at all. <laughs> I know he's doing good. That, that's right. funny. So, asking, so you, you guys are like, Chen's like, wait, hold the meeting for a second. I'm going to hold my breath for 30 seconds. <laughs> Just to prove. <laughs> and press mute and then... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. wow. So yeah, can this guys, they're, they're ahead of the curve on us. So we're mm -hmm. they are in Los Angeles. We're the peak is supposed to be this week, and I don't know in Delaware if it's 
they're saying they're saying within the next like two to three weeks yeah uh, like it, it, probably in like two weeks or whatever we're not that far from new york so and new york's yeah. getting hit pretty heavy so um yeah hopefully everything just stays safe and you know just everybody kind of takes it seriously and and kind of you know doesn't get too wrapped up in weird conspiracies or anything and just yeah. you know oh, listen 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 if a conspiracy is true that's great, okay? But in the meantime, take it seriously. Stay home. <laughs> it's not going to hurt you to take it seriously. Yeah, con- conspiracy theorize at home. <laughs> and that's fine. Everybody's cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> somebody had posted on uh, Facebook a couple weeks ago, you know, you're not being asked to storm the beaches of Normandy. You're, asked to be, you're, you're being asked to sit on your couch for a couple weeks. That's right. We right. Yeah, this is, we can do that. Well, hey, guys, I appreciate you guys coming on. And, um, you know, good luck on future endeavors. I, I'm really looking forward to see what you guys come with in the future and, and how the company grows. It's not it's not um, often you get a chance to see a new company come out with a great product and, and show so much promise. So um, Thank you. thanks Thank for all you the good much. work that you guys do. Thank everybody uh, who's out there buying them. We- we appreciate it. You're taking a chance with us, and we do appreciate that. So. Yeah, totally. Cool. Ken, you got anything? Everybody make music. Word. That's that's the best thing that's come from the whole COVID thing and all that. I'm seeing so many people making music. I just want to see people keep that up and like keep that same energy when everybody's healthy. Yeah, you know what, Ken? We, we probably got to keep the same energy on doing shows twice a week, too. Um, but I'll just blame that on you, and we'll move on. all right everybody this is beat people podcast episode uh 63 we're out